Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 228 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 9th, 2012. We've got a big show for you coming up this week on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a lot of questions to get to. If you have any questions, we love to hear from you. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com or call 206 888 6755 leave a brief voicemail or you can go right to peristylepodcast.com on the left side of the page click on leave a voice message and you can leave us one right there and uh, we got dan weber coming up a little bit later on the show he's going to answer your questions talk about the team we're going to talk a lot about the depth issues or perceived depth issues of this team some about the sanctions and how they are looking going forward but in the first segment we want to talk to coach harvey hyde he is joining us now from catalina he's back He's back on the mainland, back up as the mayor of Pasadena up there. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Everything's great, Ryan. I want to welcome you. And again, I want to say I'm a little late, but happy 4th of July to everybody out there. It's, uh, it was a big birthday party for everyone, our country, including ourselves, with family and friends. And, Ryan, you've been gone, buddy. You've been gone. You've been on the road. You must be a little bit uh, worn out after that big camp up there in Oregon. I'm a little weary. I was up at the uh, Oregon camp. It seemed like it was just it was two weeks ago. We were at the Rivals camp in Atlanta, which was 100 and something degrees on that you know field turf field, and just filming the whole day, and it was uh, pretty rough. It was. I didn't expect it to be not 90 degrees or whatever it was up in in Beaverton, Oregon, on the Nike campus. Which Nike campus is pretty beautiful, coach. It was pretty amazing, but um, hot up there, filming the whole day, and seven on seven, you don't get a break. That's not like a, a regular game. When offense scores and you have like a TV timeout, when the offense scores, the other offense is already on the other end of the field, ready to go, and they just start. So you have to run down the other side of the field. So there's not really a lot of breaks in between these games and a lot of plays. But we got a ton of footage. We got a a lot of coverage. We're going to get you show. We have isolation video of all these USC commitments and all these USC targets. So I think the your fans of USC football and USC football recruiting are going to get a treat coming up on uscfootball.com. But, yes, Coach, I am pretty wiped out after that uh, long four or five days. Well, I'll tell you, did a, guys did a great job. I've enjoyed looking at uh, all the things you've had up, uh, the videos, the articles, the interviews with players, and so on. And it just it's fabulous. You guys do a great job, and you keep everybody abreast of what's going on with the recruitment that's going on and also with the local workouts over at uh, the field as the team gets ready to – uh, practice for fall camp, and I really enjoy uh, all the specials you do on some of the new players that are coming in. But it's great to evaluate them and see them and see who's really special and who uh, are guys possibly that are too good to redshirt. Because I think that poss- possibly my thought would be redshirt this entire class coming in, unless you have lack of depth at a certain position. But a couple of these guys that I've seen, Ryan, I don't know if you're going to be able to redshirt them. They're that good. They are, and uh, they had the week off last week, Coach. So it'll start again tomorrow. They'll do their conditioning workouts, and then we'll be out there for the throwing session. Hopefully we'll see some new faces. Uh, But we got to see Nelson Aguilar two weeks ago. He's a guy you're probably mentioning that 
I don't know. It's going to be tough to redshirt a guy like that. He looks really dynamic uh, running around there with the football in his hands. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch going forward. You're exactly right. Uh, he did look fantastic. We talked about him last week, so we won't bring him up this week. But he certainly isn't uh, to disappointed anybody. In fact, a lot of the returning players are sort of looking at each other and they're saying, hey, we better, we better get going here. This guy can play. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, uh, before we jump into the questions and stuff, wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com to check them out if you need tickets for anything. Or give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. If you want to go to a concert, you want to go to the theater, obviously a lot of sporting events. It's kind of like a dead period for sports is starting uh, pretty much today with the Home Run Derby. And what's the day after the the All-Star game when there's like no sporting event going on whatsoever, Coach? That's the one like dead day of the year. Uh, I think to do the essays, but if you need tickets for anything like that, you can go check them out. And uh, coach, I don't know. You want to go to a Dodgers game sometime with me? We got to go check one, check out the Dodgers. Well, if I have time, I'll go check them out. But right now I'd rather just kick back and get ready for football and read the publications and watch the Dodgers on TV. How do you like that? Okay. That's good. I, I love getting the Dodger dog or I love Angels games too. It's not like, I don't want the angel fans to get upset, but, uh, my niece is in town. Well, my wife's niece is in town visiting. It was her 21st birthday recently, so we're going to take her to your neck of the woods, Coach Las Vegas. And um, she's staying in our guest room, which is where my office is for doing the podcast. There's, it's a little different now. There's like flowers on the the desk. It's um, my environment's changed, Coach. I don't know what's going on here. There's shoes on the ground, and her suitcase is here. It's a, they screwed up my office a little bit. Well, are you in Vegas now? No, no, we're going to go next weekend. We'll be there. We're uh, going to take her for the weekend. Yeah. Well, go have a great time. As I was going to say today, which is Monday, it's supposed to be 110, and tomorrow 111. I thought you might want to do the podcast outside by the pool, you know, where you can enjoy yourself and get a little bit of sun. Oh, check it out. Yeah, hopefully the weather's good next weekend, too. Not too hot, but it can get a little hotter here than the beach. <laughs> I'm just kidding you, buddy. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's jump into some of these questions, Coach. Um, Bart from Marin County says he listens to the show every week. And it carries him through the long off season. Well, glad we could help you out, Bart. Uh, he wants to know what does Coach Harvey Hyde predict will be. Uh, I'm sorry. He predicts what will be the future for Soma Vanuku, uh, what to optimize the production from Soma Vanuku. He thinks that he's a guy that could really go big this year. Also, he he wants to know what you think about George Farmer. Well, uh, first of all, George Farmer, coming out of high school, was the number one recruit in the country as far as the re- receiver is concerned. And I think that, George, you know, sometimes kids really do great in high school. It takes them a while to adjust to college and the atmosphere of college. And, and then he had an injury, and then he's got great competition. So it's not like you just go to, you went to a school where you're not going to have to compete and be firing on all cylinders. So. I think he's adjusting to that. I haven't heard much about him this summer. I haven't read much about him this summer. I don't know how he's doing out there. I hear about Flournoy. I hear about Blackwell. I hear about the other receivers, uh, as you mentioned, Aguilar and the starters. Uh, I don't know, but he's a gifted athlete. He's a great player, and he should be somewhere on the field where that position is or where he's going to be or when he's going to play. I can't really say because I haven't really seen him uh participate at full speed in a game situation or a scrimmage situation where he's had an opportunity to, to do something. So, but he's a gifted athlete. He has all the potential to be one of the best. And uh, I certainly think that 
given that opportunity, all of a sudden he'll be there. But right now he's a, in probably one of the best receiver groups in the country. I mean, you see all the publications, and you might not see FC number one in some publications. They are in the receiver groups. But I want to know a receiver group that's better than USC's and a, also the same thing as a secondary group than USC's in the country. So it's going to be hard to emerge, especially when you have such young receivers playing in front of you who's had such great success. So you have to wait until your number is called, and when your number is called, you've got to perform and you've got to prove who you are. I think George has got to be in a position now that when his number is called and when he gets that opportunity, he gets it done. So he's going to have to work hard. He's going to have to block as well as pass, uh, catch, and do all the things that make him a complete player. When that might happen, I don't know. But he certainly has the potential to be a great player. And I think that's the only, only honest way I can answer it. Because I'm not in the meetings. I'm not in uh, the game planning. I'm not in those situations. I've been waiting as everyone else has been waiting to see when George gets his chance. And I think, Ryan, that's the best I can answer that question. I'm sorry. And he also wants to know, what, what kind of plays would you use to try to up, optimize the play of Soma Vanuku as well from the fullback position? Well, you know, he is, he is far faster than what I anticipated him being. I thought he had a great spring game. They utilized him two or three times in the spring game, and not only did he catch the ball, he ran well with the football. He ran, he's tough, he's big, and he's strong. And it's difficult to find a place for him. Because when you have great receivers, you really don't want to flank him out as a receiver because he's not really a great receiver when you can put a Woods out there or someone else out there as a receiver. And he is a fullback. He's the fullback type of back. You want to put him in a position where you can best utilize his skills. And that's in the part of the running game, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you don't really run a two-back offense at USC. You do when you get in the eye. You do when you come across the, uh, in motion and, and, and do different things. Uh, but he is a gifted athlete. He, If you were to put him at fullback or one remaining back, I'm sure he could be a very good pass blocker and run the middle more, run the middle trap more from the eye position. Right now you don't see that type of offense in college football, but stopping the middle and trapping the middle. And today it's, it's get off the football, get off the football. Well, if your defensive line is going one way and the back is going the other way, you run right by him. You don't even have to block some of these guys. Sometimes if the guy comes up the field, you turn around. If you're a guard blowing, you go up and lead down the field. I think he'd be great at that because first of all, he'd punish your defensive backs. He'd be very difficult to tackle. He'll run over you. He'll hurt you. So I think the best way to utilize him is on goal line situations, goal line de- offense, and also run him some. Just don't make him a blocker. Make him a true threat. Don't ditch, use him as, a, as someone who is just in the game. You've got to take advantage of his abilities. And that's what I'd do with him. He'd definitely be on my goal line offense. There's no question about that. And I'd pound him and run him and kick out with him and lead through with him. He's a big, strong kid, and he's very gifted. On the old USCI football team, the way they used to run sweep and so on with the eye back, he'd be fantastic. So you have to utilize him some uh, in a way where you can best utilize his skills.
Okay. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's move on. That was Bart. Um, we kind of have a question or a comment. And I want to get your thoughts on this from Rundy. Oh, before we actually jump into that, Coach, a little public service announcement. We've been getting a lot of questions lately. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We definitely want to get all your questions in there. We try to answer all of them every week. If you're writing a, a question that has like an eight-paragraph uh, precursor, you know, you're trying to you know set it up with, you know, 3,000 words of, of email, it's probably not going to – we're not going to be able to read all that on the podcast. So try to keep them – concise if you can. I mean, if you, you don't like the question the way you wrote it, you, know, you can email me another one and say, hey, use this one instead. I, I made it a little more concise, things like that. Same thing with the voicemail calls. You know, a two and a half minute voicemail, we're probably not going to be able to play that on the air. So try to keep those like 30 seconds or so. The quicker the question, the easier it'll be us to get on there and start talking about it. We'll get them on the air. Um, I know, Coach, you like that. Just It's, it's kind of hard when you have to read these really long questions. Well, what happens when you're my age, Ryan, you forget what the second part of it was. <laughs> well, I write them down. Like, I have to print them out, and then I try to read them. And then sometimes, like, that last one, the first one, I was like, wait, what was this? And I'm trying to, you know, uh, pare them down myself, and sometimes I screw that up, too. But, you know, if you, we want to get your questions and answer everything you wanted to know. So try to just keep them concise, and we'll do our best to do that. This one is from Rundy. Um uh, he wanted to talk about what could have been for this year. Now, everyone knows, Coach, USC is going to be a you know, top two or three program you know, preseason. Some people pick USC to be the national champion, national champion, national champion, sorry. They'll be favored in every game they play this year. Um, but he wants to know, he said, I, he wants to consider several scenarios, a uh, few broken agreements that were out of USC's control that could be looking at this upcoming season that would include on this team the Armstead brothers, so Eric and Armand Armstead, uh, Santrell Henderson, uh, who ended up you know, going to Miami, uh, Sheldon Richardson, who had committed to USC in the USC locker room after a football game, uh, DeAnthony Thomas, who was committed to USC for quite a while, Frankie Telford, who had the, uh, the medical issue, who's still helping out with the team, and Jarvis Jones, who uh, had like 13 sacks last year for Georgia, who was on the USC football team. He said all those guys could potentially be contributing on this team this year, even though USC is still you know, the preseason you know, favorite to win the national championship. How crazy is that? It is crazy. It just says, Joe, that there are great athletes at USC, and uh, some athletes choose to stay and compete. Some athletes don't have the opportunity to compete because there's people who feel that their best interest on life and health and medical reasons is better not to approve them. Some athletes can go on and get, you know, physically approved and mentally approved at other universities and uh, play. And uh, I, I say one athlete that I would, if I was to say one of those athletes who I'd rather have back or would have the opportunity to play is Jarvis Jones. He's an absolutely fantastic. He's on every preseason All-American team. He led the Southeastern Conference in sacks last year. He is a great player, and it's very unfortunate since he wanted to play at USC that he didn't have that opportunity to do that. The other young men that, that had medical reasons, I certainly uh, understand their frustration and, and how difficult it is to want to play and, and play at the next level, not only at USC and be a part of a great program, but USC is always thinking in their best interest. Telford, of course, is in, I think, wants to be a doctor, and he's going to go to medical school, and he's on full scholarship still. That is absolutely fantastic. 
uh, Armstead brothers, uh, I want to wish them the best uh, as far as their futures, whatever their futures might be. It's uh, difficult that uh, of the situation, I understand, uh, but I don't understand why a young man, if he really wanted to come to USC, wouldn't come to USC when USC was thinking in the best interest for his brother. And uh, But that happens. Now he'll have the opportunity of going to Oregon and competing. And, of course, that opens up another slot for someone who can compete. The Anthony Thomas, uh, a, uh, a tremendous player, freshman All-American. What can I say? If you watch him in the Rose Bowl last year, he was absolutely fantastic. He was, he's got a different speed. Uh, his speed is he runs fast enough where you can't catch him. And he's uh, got a tremendous future. It was just one of those last-minute decisions that changed his mind. What was the real reason? I've heard so many different reasons, but I really don't know, so I don't want to say what it, what it was. But he's there. He makes them very competitive. He's going to be a great challenge to stop. And you just have to rise up and realize you're not, you're not going to get them all. But uh, all you want, basically, I used to say as a football coach, I can't get them all, but I just want my share. And I think that sometimes kids are afraid to come and play at a certain level of competition. Some kids love the challenge of playing at that level of competition. Because where you get better is in practice, not in the game. When you go against great players every year. Like when you look at this year's class that is verbally committed, the kids that are verbally committed, you know how smart those kids are? Those kids know they're going to get a lot of turns against great players. They're not going to just be standing around or being a bag. Hey, they're needed. They're going to get turns against great athletes. They're going to get better every single day. Even if they're redshirted, they're going against four stars, five-star recruits, and they're going to get better as an athlete academically. They're going to have all of the strength as far as what USC gives them to graduate, be a part of and live in an area of Los Angeles where there's great opportunity. So these kids that will be coming, the 18 kids that will commit to USC and be a part of this class currently that's being recruited are smart kids because they're not in a class of 25. They're not in a class where there's a lot of numbers. They're being recruited to play. They're, re they're re being recruited to have turns. They're going to be coached by their their coach. They're not going to be sitting in the back of the room knowing they're not going to have an opportunity. So they're going to be alert, too. They're going to be training hard in the off-season program because they know they may play a lot as a freshman or a sophomore. So these kids that are committing, I, all I can say, I hope some of these guys who are waiting to make their decision, when I hear a kid say, oh, I'm going to announce in the Army game or I'm going to announce later on at the end of the season, it might be too late for you, son. You better commit. If you want to be a Trojan, and I understand a few of them are getting ready to make announcements. I don't know if they're coming to USC, but kids are getting ready to make announcements. I congratulate them. Why? You're getting it over. You've got the opportunity. Why fool around? Get in there. Like I, I saw your interview with Isaac, Ty Isaac. His mind is made up. He doesn't want to visit anywhere. He's made his mind up. He's solid. He's told the people, please leave me alone. I know where I'm going. <laughs> I think that's tremendous. A kid has made up his mind, made his decision. He's committed. And I think that's the type of athlete. When a kid commits and says, you know, I'm still going to take four more visits, I say, hey, son, 
If you're going to take four more visits, we don't consider that a commitment. If someone else comes along, don't just stand there and think to her, sit there and think that, you know, we don't take a few more visits too. So uh, I like that early commit and that solid commit and the guy that really wants to play for you. I like that. I know you do, Coach. And uh, it's it's kind of it's happening. Ducks are falling in a row for Lane Kiffin. And, and every week or two, it seems like someone else is stepping up and, and deciding to uh, make their pledge and uh, to attend USC. Obviously, it doesn't matter until February when signing day happens. But I think people in this class are feeling pressure uh, because there is going to fill up fast. And there's a lot of good really good players that any school in the country would take that USC might not be able to take because of the scholarship limitations. And if you're a four or even a five-star like defensive back and USC already has five defensive backs signed, is there even room for you? Uh, normally you would take a guy like that in a heartbeat, but they might not be able to. So it's a, it's a very interesting recruiting period and it, it's kind of snowballed and, and got momentum and, and kids are kind of lining up. But it just seems like every week there's another big, commitment so it's uh it's a crazy time for usc recruiting right now well they're smart and i also see athletes now committing like washington got seven commits in one day or whatever it was well those are kids that really sc was recruiting and maybe they would have offered them a scholarship but they had probably told them they they can't take them or they're moving on so these kids are committing at other schools within the pac-12 that maybe would have been a part of usc's recruiting class but they're smart they want to commit they want to get it over. So Washington is really reaping the benefits. UCLA has got a couple of kids that SC has walked on. And other schools will have the same type of, of uh, recruitment. So, uh, you know, but right now, if you want to be a Trojan, and I'm a parent, and my kid is playing games, I'd tell him, son, let's don't play any games. It's time now to make a commitment and decide what you're going to do. What are you going to find out more? You've been playing football every day of the entire summer at one camp or passing leagues or this or that. Let's get it over with. And, uh, and most of this class that has given verbal commits, they are solid commits. In the past, there's been some that are still maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. I want to take one more visit. Most of this class are solid commits when I listen to them on your interviews. All right, Coach, we've got a last couple of questions here. Uh, Ed in Miraloma, he needs your help. Uh, he's not going to be able to watch the USC Cal game as it is now. He said, with the announcement of the Cal game being awarded to the Plaque 12 network, what can be done to help those of us who have DirecTV to get the games? It doesn't sound too promising that we'll, we, we will be able to get the network. Being a lifelong Trojan fan, I would be really upset if something is not done. Maybe through the podcast we can make enough noise to get their attention. What can they do, Coach? How can you help Ed? Well, let me ask. Who, who got the game? So for the USC Cal game, that's going to be on the Pac-12 network. Um, so well, Does anybody be... know about the Pac-12 network? It, it hasn't gotten on yet, DirecTV, but they've got to get it on DirecTV. And uh, the problem is probably both people are asking money. The Pac-12 is probably asking too much money. Because the DirecTV people have to pass that on to all the subscribers and the people that pay for it, like us, who have DirecTV. They've got to get on there. They've got to get on there. I mean, they, you know, there's too many people that have DirecTV, and, and I think they've got to get on there. What they're going to do, hey, I really don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I know uh, 
I'm a subscriber to DirecTV because I love to see all the different channels and all the games. I don't know. We might have to get a cable network or something. I think it's a fluid situation, Coach. Like, I wouldn't worry about it, like, as of right now. Um, I mean, usually this stuff like this happened on the NFL Network, too, when the NFL Network had a game. They show they would show it in local markets. I mean, they, things will change. Like, it's there's a lot of, you know, stuff going back and forth right now. I would be willing to guess, Ed, you're going to be able to watch that game. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, that's that's my – if I had to bet on it, I would bet you're going to be able to watch that game. I think things will change. It'll get on there. But there's a lot of negotiations going on from what I understand. So I wouldn't worry about it quite just yet. I mean, there's there was some worry, but don't think it as a black and white issue right now. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And if you want to do something about it, everybody that's listening, just shoot an email off to the Pac-12 office indicating that uh, – you're thinking of canceling your subscription if you can't watch a USC game, and that'll help in negotiations. And also to DirecTV, you shoot one out and say, if you don't have the Pac-12 network, then, you know, uh, maybe I'm thinking of going a different route. That might help some. Uh, yeah, but, you know, what are we going to do? we got to hope uh, that it all works out, and I would think that they're both smart enough to work out that deal. All right. And then we got one last one, Coach. It's not the uh... – I guess the most uplifting topic, but we, we, people were talking about this on the peristyle quite a bit. And as more and more information comes out on the whole Penn state uh, investigation and whether uh, how much the administration or the coaches were involved. um, And people are asking if the NCAA should get involved. And the question we had, he said, uh, the NCAA must let the FBI and other government agencies go after those involved in the cover-up. To take it to its simplest form, let's say a cashier at a store kills another cashier. Do you think HR or a manager would get involved to punish the killer? This goes higher than the normal day-to-day rules within an organization. The police should take care of it. Let's say the NCAA gets involved and dishes out a severe punishment, 10-year bull ban, 60 scholarships lost, and the college must repay money for home games. Is there any punishment that isn't an insult to the victims in this case? So 60 scholarships or whatever number is worth allowing children to be harmed. The only way the NCAA should get involved in punishment is not not allowing anyone found to be involved in the cover-up to return to college sports. I'd love to get your take on this, and thank you. Well, I'd say, first of all, that was a horrible situation. And as I've said, uh, I think I even did a live on radio, things in a football program – uh, you're a very close unit. You're very close as far as coaches, players, uh, the whole, it's a family. You hear that atmosphere. You, uh, coaches spend more time with their, with their fellow coaches and their teammates than they do with their own children. So it's very important that you trust your child with the individual who is being a parent with them. After you've raised your kid to be 18, 17, 18 years old and, he goes off to college. So when you have an incident like that, there's always a lack of trust, and there's always a feeling of you've been misled, you've been lied to. And it's different, I feel, than an NCAA violation as far as you bought someone's lunch or you rode in a golf cart across campus. It's a whole different thing. And there's no doubt in my mind that individuals knew of this. And uh, 
when and all I know is what you know and what we've read and heard that when it was the story was told from McClary to Paterno to the athletic director uh, all the way on up it was more or less ignored or well let's sort of blow it off and and hope it doesn't happen again and let's protect the football program let's protect the university let's do this and let's do that and i think they really misread the entire situation because they forgot about the victim and and that is something that people will not forgive because that could be our own child and i think uh, i don't know what the ncaa can do because i think it's more of a law issue than it is an ncaa issue I I have faith in our judicial system where the people who are involved in these type of things should be punished accordingly because there are young people's lives who have been tarnished or ruined or whatever term you want to use, not just now but forever. And even if they do sue and get huge sums of money, that doesn't really correct the situation because that scar will be there forever. And it'll be there forever for the university for a long period of time. So you're going to have to work hard to have that go away, but that won't go away. When you think of Penn State, what do you think of? You think of a a Penn State as a great university, yes, but you think of the situation that happened there. You've forgotten all of the championship and bowl games and the winniest coach ever and all of that. At least in my mind, I somewhat do. I don't know how you all think, but I think of it as a very serious, sad, tragic situation. How they handle it, I hope they handle it properly. It's not a cover-up any longer. The whole world knows about it. So I think things have got to be dealt with in the harshest of ways. And I think that all of this type of situation, not just in football, but anywhere, there should be no leniency in any of these type of issues. I just don't, I can't stand it. And uh, I knew from the beginning when I first heard the announcement, I said, hey, 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 this isn't a surprise people in football programs know everything in universities. And this was, I don't want to use the term cover-up, but this was a a term of protection to the football, the university, the program, and the the whole package. So that's the best way I can answer it because I don't know how the NCAA can get involved because if you punish the kids now to go to school there, they had nothing to do with it. And the coaches that coach there now really had nothing to do with it. And same with the administrators. So I think they should be given uh, a clean bill of health as far as an opportunity to go to college and play competitive athletics. And So I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's something I can't answer. We'll just have to wait and see. It's a tough situation all around. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And obviously our thoughts and prayers go out to all the victims in the case and hopefully it doesn't get much worse than it already is but it seems like it every week there's new stories and stuff that come out the more of the cover-up and all of that so ugh, terrible situation but um thanks for the question and thanks again coach um great show i know sorry we had to end on a 
sour note like that, but good stuff earlier on the show. Coach, thanks very much for uh, joining us. We're going to have Dan Weber coming up next, but thanks for coming on. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, and thank you, uh, all of our listeners out there, for sending the questions. Remember, all of our answers are just our opinion, and you can agree or disagree, and that's what it's all about. So, again, let's thank Southern California Ticket Service for the sponsorship of this segment. Get over there, and if you need any tickets, they'll even send them overnight mail to you. Or even now, Ryan, they email tickets to you. Do you know that? I like that. Yeah, I used that once. It was very nice. <laughs> it is neat. When they told me the other day they were going to email me some tickets, I said, wait a minute. I, mean, I like to have my ticket in my hand. And they said, you will, Coach. After you get it, just print it. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. So you, you don't even have to drive up there. All you do is call them. Pretty simple. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. Back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk to USAFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. And uh, Dan, just before we went on the air, you mentioned this to me, and I, I didn't really think about it. Tomorrow, USC starts off their uh, summer workout schedule again after having a week off for the 4th of July break. And they pretty much are going to go all the way through January, however far they go in the postseason. That's right. I mean, it's uh, uh, tomorrow gets it going. Tomorrow, really, you know, until to- they had the week off this last week for Fourth of July, and and to get the rest of the, uh, you know, the new kids, uh, uh, you know, completely uh, integrated into the, you know, the team framework and that. But uh, but but tomorrow, basically. They're going to go straight on through, straight on through to uh, you know August practice, and straight on through to the season, and then pretty much straight on through. There's a couple of Saturdays off, but that's because they've got a Thursday game and what have you. But uh, essentially, uh, tomorrow is the beginning of uh, of the long sprint to let's see where it takes us. And uh, we're going to see some of the the new faces around. We've seen a few. Uh, on campus, we've seen some of the incoming freshmen, class of 2012. Uh, I think we're going to see some more coming back this week, and uh, we'll we'll get you guys photos and, and video updates of all those guys. But Pat had a question. He said uh, something came up on the Peristyle. One player that wasn't mentioned that he saw was uh, Jordan Simmons. Do you, do you know if he's on campus and how is his knee? I'm not sure if we had any update on him lately, but I just thought I'd check in with you. We understand he's. He's definitely on campus. Uh, he have not seen him. Uh, actually, I guess the last four we haven't seen. Uh, and, and there is a question about, uh, you know, how quickly does his knee come around. And uh, that's why you really do want to actually see them uh, and see them with, uh, you know, with their teammates and see them out there moving around, especially for the linemen, the big kids. You want to see how big are they really. You know, I mean, that was the big uh, – focus last year with Andre Walker. How big was he really? And, uh, you know, here's a kid that 
came in bigger than we could have ever imagined, Andre Walker, and now he's smaller than we ever could have imagined. And uh, Jordan Simmons, whether he's in that uh, in that group or not, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, because there's always a lot of kind of myths about what the kids actually weigh and have they gained any weight or lost any weight since the last time you saw them and all that. So uh, he will be uh, probably the first person everybody will be looking for tomorrow. Um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm curious to see who all else is going to be out there. Uh, you know, we, Darius Rogers, we have not, uh, we don't have an update really on him. It, it's, he's not expected to be out there yet. He's, you know, Gerard has had, he's put a couple updates out there about uh, Darius taking a couple classes over. Um, so we'll keep you updated on the peristyle with that. Right. He uh, was the one player that when you talk to the different, uh, you know, varsity guys and, and, and they had been introduced to all the players last week and uh, all the remaining ones coming in. And he was the one guy say, that people said, and they knew Darius because Darius had come around some, uh, you know, last uh, winter. And uh, they said, he, you know, really specific that you no, know, Darius is the one who hasn't hasn't been here yet. He's he's the one we haven't met, but that everybody else had had been there. And uh, I've also got an update with Gerald Bowman, who there were some questions with him. We put stuff in the uh, in the war room on Friday about that, and then I I messaged him a, a couple of times, and um, he was just waiting on one grade. He said he passed everything. And he's excited to be out there and get out there working. So that's good news for the uh, USC secondary. You know, we'll we'll see what happens there. He's one of those kids where you thought he was going to be an early enrollee, and then there was questions coming into just being able to enroll in the fall. But uh, according to what he told me, he he's expecting to be out there. So we'll we'll watch for him as well. You would be surprised if he weren't, because uh, for other kids who haven't been, you know, have been on that, you know question you know are they going to make it or aren't they going to make it uh we've never seen one who's been around as much as gerald i mean he's just been there pretty much uh you know every day uh you know he'll come in he's not allowed to work with uh you know with the uh, strength and conditioning coaches yet uh with the, the team and that part of it but then he's uh you know change his clothes and, and go in there with them uh you know when the uh and basically to get acclimated not not so much playing, playing, uh, but uh, to get lined up and to be asking guys, you know, well, what do we do on this, you know, defense and how do I line up here and all that. So it would be a, a little bit of a surprise if, if something were to happen with, with Gerald, considering how much he's been uh, kind of been around and how much he's been a part of what they're doing this summer. You don't normally see that if there's the kind of question mark that, that could really sideline a kid uh, academically. Yeah, any anytime he's missed a workout, it's usually frozen. He's not been able to get a ride down there. So, um, yeah, he's not living like on campus or, or up. You know, he's still up in the valley somewhere. So, right. Yeah, um, it's a real commitment for him to get there. He brings his stuff with him. You know, changes on the field, that kind of thing. Uh, so, he's uh, very serious. You know, serious about being there. All right. Well, let's uh, another question about these off-season workouts. A uh, good one from Greg in Woodland Hills. He wants to know how the linebacker has been looking during these throwing sessions. Any standouts in particular who have elevated their game? It's interesting. The thing that, that jumps out at me is the lack of uh, hesitation in the linebackers and, the, and their ability to play as a group. As three guys playing as one when you look at the starting group and you realize uh, uh you didn't get to see the real Lamar Dawson probably last year because he was so – I mean, there was so much. If you're a true freshman, 
coming out of high school in Kentucky and what have you. That's so much. And then he had the, uh, uh, the you know, the bad ankle sprain that sidelined him, you know, for four weeks. And so uh, there was just so much for him to get up to speed on that uh, you could see that you couldn't, you didn't really get to see the real Lamar Dawson run into the football, running sideline to sideline. The thing he does the best is just run, the, run, run to the ball and run people down. And uh, we always knew that about Deion Bailey and, uh, and Hayes Pollard on the outside. And now you see the three of them, uh, the way that that group adjusts uh, and, and is able to run to the football, to have, to have three linebackers who can run to the football that way and to run, you know, kind of in, in you know, in, in, in unison and, you know, without, uh, you know, overrunning or without gaps and all that kind of thing. It's pretty impressive to watch three guys that can run the way, you know, you got three sophomores that are going to be able to run to the football the way they can. Uh, guys that have, you wouldn't have expected maybe Scott Starr is, uh, you know, as a backup, uh, you know, came in freshman uh, early uh, second semester and, uh, and put him in there in the middle behind Dawson, and uh, he's just stayed there. And he's kind of a, a lean, uh, you know, Brian Cushing, I guess you would say. He got that, that, that look. Uh, uh, boom, boom, boom. Uh, Anthony Sorrell, I think, uh, trying to get up to 220 and, and play on the outside. And he looks, uh, <clears throat> he looks like uh, he will be able to, uh, you know, t- uh, to do that. And then on the other side, the guy that we always forget because he's been hurt, is uh, you know Marcus Simmons, who's just a tremendous athlete, and uh, again, if he uh, if he can stay healthy, uh, they get you know they've got another guy that can can make a lot of plays, and uh, you know kind of got that same uh, you know build as as Hayes Pillard, you know strong and quick, and uh, and you know been around uh, a lot. Uh, so uh, just in general, I think uh, uh, better in terms of understanding what they're doing and not having to learn. Last year, basically, they were learning on the fly. And this year, they really look like they know exactly, uh, you know, what it is they're supposed to do. And it's, uh, it's fun to watch guys that can really run to the football the way, uh, the, way the linebackers can. All right. Uh, so thank you for that one, Greg. Uh, this one is from... Uh, Boyd in San Ramon. He said uh, he really cracked up about the geography lesson, the San Ramon geography lesson we gave last week. So sorry if we butchered it. San Ramon in California? Is that, is that, I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, yeah, that was the East Bay, I think, right? We know, we know, we know. We're <laughs> uh, so he wants to know how many USC walk-ons had Division One scholarship offers to play elsewhere. I know Ryan Dillard and Elijah Steed had offers, plus Count of Guardi, it's obviously scholarship worthy uh any others i am missing i think uh, uh both uh, uh certainly abe markowitz and will andrew would be two of the other uh guys probably uh, i'm trying to think uh obviously uh, the kid from nebraska jt kerr uh he was a scholarship player at nebraska uh, uh mojica uh robert mojica i'm trying to think if he had offers or he certainly earned a, a Division One scholarship at uh, SMU as a uh, kind of interesting. He was their uh, their nickelback at SMU, but he's he's reverting to uh, tailback that he played at uh, at Modern Day. So uh, 
let's see if there's anybody else in that group. That Sounds about right. There was, I mean, like guys like he's not a teammate, but Peter Yobo was someone he played at, like San Jose, San Jose State. I the, guess he was a track guy at San Jose. Um, trying to think of the other other walk-ons. A good question, and I'm not sure about Nathan Gertler, whether uh, uh, he should have gotten Division One uh, offers uh, when he was at Norco, uh, the left tackle who was uh, basically Matt Khalil's backup all last year. But I'm not sure uh, uh, whether he was such a late developer that uh, that he kind of got overlooked or not. But uh, and uh, let's see, uh, Zach Kisner uh, was a uh, quarterback at San Jose, or excuse me, at San Diego uh, State, and also a, a left-handed pitcher. And then he got so much bigger. Uh, but uh, but whether he would have been offered at San Diego State before he transferred to USC or not, he wanted to transfer because of the business school at USC, it's the Marshall School of Business. Uh, so. Uh, He's certainly good enough to have earned, earned some Division One offers if he would have been open to them, but he really wanted to come to USC. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. If we think of anyone else, we can bring it up on the next podcast, but I think it's a pretty good list there. There's de- definitely a lot of people that aren't on scholarship at USC that had at least offers to do at other places or actually were on scholarship other places. Um, right. Mark had a question. Any update on Todd Mc, on the Todd McNair litigation? Anything up on that case? Have you heard anything lately? The the last thing, and this is the the thing that people probably don't understand. I would probably answer that in the war room because somebody really went after the uh, the fact that because there's no news. Uh, uh, his his law firm has made a conscious decision that they are not going to try this case in the paper uh, publicly at all that they feel like they have a really good case and they just want to get to court. Now, the NCA, the last thing in the world the NCA wants to do is get this case to court. So you've got two different groups that are trying to do exactly the opposite. Uh, the last that we understood happened was that the NCA filed a motion, kind of a freedom of speech uh, and I think, you know, I wish I was more up on the uh, uh, the terminology, and I think it was something called uh, a slap motion, which uh, seems to have put them in a trap because at that point, Todd McNair's law firm said, uh, well, that's fine. Uh, in order to defend ourselves against this motion, uh, we are going to need discovery, and we're going to ask for all the emails uh, involving, uh, you know, the USC case and all the correspondence and all of that involving the Committee on Infractions people and the investigative staff at the NCA. Well, the NCA was horrified at that. And they, they refined it a little bit, the judge did, uh, in terms of timeline and, and how much of that that they could have, but basically gave Todd McNair's law firm the discovery that they wanted, which hasn't at all been uh, something that the NCA has uh, has been very pleased about. From that, from that's the latest that we understood that until they get uh, all of that discovery of all of those uh, people involved, uh, they can't have a hearing on the NCA's motion to dismiss the case. But uh, one of the things that I think we're going to elaborate on the war room this week is people who say 
well, it hasn't, we haven't heard anything and it hasn't happened. So that must mean that was all a bunch of smoke and mirrors and nothing going on and what have you. Uh, I would tell people this, that the uh, case that some of this is following is the case of the University of Buffalo basketball coach, Tim Cohane, who basically looks to have been maybe railroaded by uh, compliance people and, uh, involved with investigative people who uh, intimidated students to maybe make things up about some of the things that happened at the University of Buffalo in basketball. And he was run out of, uh, out of, out of college uh, coaching. It took him more than seven years in federal court to get his lawsuit uh, able to go forward. He is actually suing one of the members of the Committee on Infractions that heard his case. He's suing them personally. It's never happened before. Uh, that person also was allowed to be on the Infractions Appeals Committee for the USC case. Unbelievably, amazingly, was allowed to hear a case that, and, and the issue was the interaction between the Committee on Infractions and the uh, investigative staff at the NCA, that they basically were too close and they were working together against the rules. Uh, a, a, a point that's being made in the Todd McNair case, of course, uh, and that that person who was getting sued personally also had the ability to be on the USC appeals panel and decide a case very similar to the one he personally was being sued for, which is still now going forward. But it's taken more than seven years in court to get the NCA to the point where they had to give discovery on that case. So don't get, you know, that's the problem with the whole Todd McNair case and all these cases. Uh, I will say this, it's gotten to discovery a lot quicker than it did in the Tim Cohen case, for example. This is not going the way the NCA was hoping, which would be uh, string it out, string it out, string it out, bury it, keep it quiet, don't do anything. Uh, this is moving on, but uh, it's not going to go fast, and it's not going to be public. And unfortunately, that's where it is. All right. Uh, thanks for that. Hopefully that answers your question, Mark. And let's go to Terry, and our friend Terry wants to know, he says, Dan, I've read where other college football pundits are saying the 2014 season will be the season where the Trojans will severely be crippled by the three-year recruiting sanction. Given the quality of our 2013 recruiting class, will the problem be quality of depth? What is your take? That's from Terry well, that's the problem, and that's the evil uh, part of the NCAA sanctions against USC. You don't know. I mean, you could have two great seasons where kids perform at a level way better than they, you know, we have any right to expect, and you have, say, five more kids go to the NFL than you would have expected in the next two years, whatever, and they're not around. And the NCAA, the stuff that is so wrong about the NCAA, not only have they required USC to be limited to 75 scholarships for three straight years, something that no other team has ever been limited to for even one year, but they've also limited the ability to replace people who leave in ways in which you, you can't possibly foresee. And the only reason there was to knock USC even further down. Uh, you know, in terms of numbers, my hope would be 
that USC never goes below 75. And if there's any chance that USC is going to have to operate under 75, they go back to the NCAA. And in whatever way it takes, they force the NCAA to allow them. I mean, 75 scholarships for a season is really a gigantic hit. You know, nobody in the Southeastern Conference could survive with 75. Ohio State couldn't survive with 75. US, Notre Dame couldn't. USC might be able to with 75, but not any less. And if for some, you know, injuries, guys perform really well, you don't have any control over some of the things. And to have a, a second penalty on top of it, that was the evil part, the really deviously evil part of what uh, uh, Paul D. and Josephine Petito and those people signed off on. Uh, and that that has to be changed. And that, that just can't – USC should never have to go through uh, – they shouldn't have had to go through a season with 75 scholarships. Uh, the most the NCAA – and they know it could have justified was five scholarships a year. But they, uh, they knew – USC didn't cheat like a lot of the uh, SEC schools, for example, didn't over-recruit, didn't run kids off, didn't sign 35 kids a year. So they felt like, well, we don't take USC down to 15 scholarships, and we take them down to just 20, which is a, a, a loss of five, they'll be fine. Because USC doesn't really cheat like the other schools that we're talking about, and we all know who we're talking about, uh, cheat. So let's take them down to 15. Uh, it was just, you know, basically the penalties reaffirmed that USC wasn't cheating. Uh, in ways in which uh, so many other schools do, because the NCAA had had the pretty much uh, you know double the penalties for USC just to try to hurt them, but to uh, to limit them to 15 a year uh, really I think damages the NCAA and really has to be readdressed. If USC, I mean they've done magnificently so far in terms of of how they've structured their approach to the whole scholarship situation, it's unbelievable better than. You couldn't even imagine, you couldn't have scripted it and said uh, this is what they could do and that they would do it. But, uh, but I would just say that uh, we don't know. That's the problem about 2014. I guess you can go over on the UCLA boards and you <laughs> can have you know, 10 different plans about how USC is going to be down to 60 scholarships. And then we're going to catch them. Uh, if you, uh, you, you know, not too many people on the USC board writing about, uh, you know, what's going to happen in 2014. But there are places where they've got all the scholarship math for USC. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I do think it's something people have to think about because we can't predict what will happen if, uh, you know, there may be ways in which uh, they perform, kids perform so well that you tell them, you know what, it's right, you should go, you should leave. But then – that would be a scholarship that couldn't be replaced, and uh, uh, and that wouldn't be right. So we'll see how that how that plays out. And I think there are options for USC. And as I mentioned in the war room last week, maybe the NCA will get a really far-thinking, uh, uh, fair-minded, and really uh, you know uh, guy that could stand on his own as the chief medical officer that they're going out to hire now. Who's uh, you know one of his charges is to be uh, you know basically to oversee the safety and health and well-being of student-athletes. Well, one of the things he ought to do right away is say, no more 
limiting scholarships for uh, college football programs is a penalty, that that's just against the spirit of keeping athletes safe to make teams play uh, uh, against, uh, you know, year after year after year against schedules with uh, 85 players when, when they only have 75 or fewer. Uh, so, you know, maybe the NCAA itself will actually, you know, act in a, in a fair-minded, uh, you know, thoughtful, uh, reasonable way and uh, resolve some of the USC case themselves. I, I wouldn't uh, hold my breath for that one, day. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> Uh, and Terry, and too, one follow-up to that. Uh, I think some of what you're reading, too, are, are if you want to get informed opinions, we're obviously on top of this. You can go to uscfootball.com, and Dan or myself or Gerard, I mean, we know what's going on. We talk to the compliance people. We chart out these scholarships. We've dealt, you know, dived into this full-on. You know, We know what's going on, or dove into it, not dive, but um, what's going on with these you – know, we know about as much as you can know, and there's still stuff we don't know because it's there's a lot of confusing aspects to this. Um, but I think in the beginning, what people were saying was, "Oh, it's gonna, you know, the first year won't be bad, but then it's gonna be the second year, and then oh, it's not this year, and then, and then you know, USC wins ten games last year. People thought, well, this was gonna be the year. 2012 season's gonna be tough. Well, now USC's preseason one, two, or three. What's going on there? So I think the next logical thing is, oh, it's gonna be next year when Barkley leaves and things like that. But, I mean, if you look at the recruiting class, I mean, they have the highest star ranking, as, according to Rivals.com. It's not going to be big, but it could legitimately, and I was talking to the Rivals people with their new formula, how you could win. Having less than 20 people sign in a recruiting class makes it tougher to win, like, the recruiting national championship. But because USC's got, I mean, who knows how many five-star guys end up, you know, signing in February, but it could be four or five. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. They could still win that, you know, recruiting national championship from rivals, even though you're only bringing in 18 guys, possibility of 19 if, if one more drops. Um, so that's like a, a, that's, this year will be a kind of a typical Pete Carrollish recruiting class where you brought in 19, 20 guys. Um, so it's not going to be, you know, quite as horrible. And if you look at our scholarship distribution chart, there's 14 seniors, uh, so, you know, having less than 15, you can obviously replace all of them, probably losing a guy like maybe Robert Woods and a, and a Kel Roby or something. So there's, you know, one more than 15, but you know, you're already able to bring in 18, possibly 19 guys from this recruiting class. So replacing what's leaving shouldn't be an issue. Uh, you might be a couple extra over and then someone leaves something like that. You have a little bit of wiggle room, but like what Dan is saying is you got to stay at 75. If you chart it out, you know, this year seems like it's going to be okay. You know, the the team should be right about 75. Next year, it looks like the same sort of thing. It looks like there's a there's not as many guys leaving. You have a few extra scholarships to give. You can get that that number. You can manipulate that number to still be around 75. And that's I think it's it's a brilliant point by Dan. If you got down to 68, then it's really hard to kind of climb back up. But if you can hang around that 75 the entire time, and you're doing it this first year. It looks like you can do it again the second year. I mean, then, you know, then it's just about over. Uh, but I think a lot of the national pundits are just saying that because, you know, the team looks like they're going to be real good this year. It's really, you can't say anything bad is going to happen now, but, you know, down the road, that's when it could be. Yeah, they really jumped on the depth thing. And they even, you know, are, and I tried to make the point last week that the, the people that are jumping on the depth issues this year are probably, they're deeper this year by far than they were last year. I mean, you know, for so for people who say, 
Well, that depth is he's got to kick in because, you know, last year they had the 85 scholarships, and this year they've got 75, or technically they allowed that many. Uh, I think the issue becomes how successful are these kids and how much, how many leave early? And if they leave early during the, the years where you can't replace them or can't replace all of them, I mean, you may have the situation where you say, you know, look at 68, it may be a year past the, uh, the sanctions. I mean, th- these sanctions are almost designed so that not only are they going to hit USC during the years that they're, you know, the three years of the penalties, but the next year and the year after, if they're really successful and they have kids leave early before they can replace them. Uh, and that's what USC, I think, has to become more aggressive in terms of, uh, you know, if, if the NCAA last week decided that the uh, Committee on Infractions abused its discretion in the way it penalized Boise State for, you know, uh, three scholarships or whatever it was, uh, I think the definition of abuse of discretion is what happened in the USC case. Now, obviously, the uh, Infractions Appeals Committee didn't even take a look at USC's appeal, blew it off, didn't address it, didn't respond to it in any fair-minded way. One of the things that's happened in every one of these schools that comes up in front of the NCAA ought to be just thrilled to death about the USC case because USC case has forced them to be more honest and more fair and, and clearly going back in the Boise State case and saying, well, maybe we, we really overreacted because Boise did what USC did and said – these penalties are so far out of line with everything else that the NCAA has ever done in cases like this. Uh, that's wrong. You can't do that, NCAA. You're, you're abusing your discretion. And the NCAA said, yeah, you're right. When USC did that, the NCAA said, we changed the rules, USC, for you. And we're not going to allow that particular argument about precedent and exceeding the precedent in your case. Because your case was different. You were USC. So, therefore, there is no precedent. They actually said that. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so dishonest uh, what they did for the USC case, which is why you almost hate to get involved in it so much because you can't stand the thought that these people sat around and signed off on this. I mean, the embarrassment. I mean, luckily, it's so embarrassing People like, you know, Petuto and Missy Convoy, you know, and those kinds of people are scurrying, you know, and they're not probably putting that on their resume anymore that they were on the appeals panel, uh, you know, for the USC case. Uh, those people are hiding, and probably so are the NCA investigators that worked on the case. It's an embarrassment. It's a blot on their, their resumes, on their careers, and they know it, and they're trying to make it right. Good for Boise, good for Ohio State, you know, good for North Carolina. This, you know, every, probably good for Miami. <laughs> but uh, I still think USC ought to be around to remind people of what happened in the USC case and how it had real-world consequences for kids who aren't getting scholarships to USC just because of the way that those people, uh, you know, dealt with the USC case. And, and that was wrong. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. I'm a little uh, worn out from the, the four or five days up there in Portland for the opening, but I'm getting back into the swing of things. We'll get back with a uh, Trojan Blast recruiting podcast this week as well. Not sure which day, but stay tuned for that. And thanks again, Dan, for joining us. Very good. And uh, it is exciting to see some of those kids, that you know, the, 
the Jalen Ramseys and you know the Hatcher kid from Louisville, or those kids that are popping up on the on the screen. It's it's kind of unbelievable that this class has sort of a, a dynamic where they're getting such good kids. And I mean, you know, besides football, that it looks like other good kids want to be with those kids. You know, and there aren't a lot of spots. <laughs> you know, for to do that. It's kind of amazing how this is all, uh, you know, playing out. It pretty much is, and there's going to be more good news coming up soon. So stay tuned for all that. And thanks again, Dan. And thanks to everyone else for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. And we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 